Well, today we begin chapter 11. We have, we finished 10, but I'm going to go into chapter 10 for the last part of it because I think it's important. But um, have, you, have you enjoyed Romans? I want to know for sure if everybody has really enjoyed digging into the Word as we have. And I think maybe down the road that might be something we might do is to get into one of the books and really dig into it because <clears throat> I don't want to just hit the surface. You can do that when you're at home reading on your own. That's why we have teachers, is so we can dig a little deeper and go into things that maybe you wouldn't think about otherwise. But if you remember, the whole book of Romans has been about Paul being called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, but of course it's to the Jews first because that's who he was. He was a Jew and so uh, the Jewish people was so uh, on his heart for them to get saved and so uh, almost every chapter has something that he talks about how he's concerned about his own people. So we know that was the heart of Paul was to reach not just the Gentiles but his own people. And so what happened is, uh, when I got into this today, for today's lesson, I actually saw some things I haven't seen before, I mean in a different light. And so I hope I can bring those out because I think that it's um, uh, kind of an enlightening thing. But at any rate, one of the things that Paul spoke to them about was how <clears throat> they had a zeal for God, but not after knowledge. <clears throat> and because of their belief system, they were also puffed up with pride because they felt like they were God's elite and that all of the promises for, were for God. And so in their mind, they believed that if you was going to get born again <clears throat> or saved, you had to first become a Jew, which we know isn't true. So when the Old Testament, uh, <clears throat> when Moses received the law, the misunderstanding was that they took it and they used it up here and so immediately then they began to apply it as though they were to perform the law so that they could be righteous. <clears throat> and we know that that all got changed and it, but it was never there in the first place. And I think a lot of times even we as we read the Old Testament will go back and we'll read it and we'll think, oh, they were under the law, therefore they were under God's judgment. Well, that is partially true, but the emphasis honestly was the heart. And we, I, the people back then missed it, but we even miss it when we read the Old Testament. And so um, <clears throat> two of the, well actually three of the scriptures Deuteronomy 5.29, and I'm not going to read that, but I'll just brief it, is that <clears throat> uh, Moses is repeating what God says, and he says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me to keep my commandments. And then Deuteronomy 6.4-8 says, and this one we all know, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then Deuteronomy 13 the Lord is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and your soul. <clears throat> but there were so many scriptures that mentioned that. And I don't know why, but I think I even slipped over them when I read the Old Testament. I was always law-minded in the Old Testament. 
and I wasn't thinking about what was really being said in some of those scriptures. So just like we, some of us do today, we stumble over that chief cornerstone, which was Jesus. So in the last uh, chapter of 10 of uh, Romans, Paul addresses the rejection of the gospel that the Jews did. So um, let's start with verse uh, 14 and 15 on that last, that last part of uh, chapter 10. Verse 14 says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So Paul's really letting them know if you haven't heard about the gospel, then you're not going to have faith until you have heard the message. Well, as I got to thinking about it, <clears throat> I got to thinking, okay, when, when, the most, when, when the book of Moses was written, it was about 1,400 years before Jesus came on the scene. So here, all those 1,400 years, the Israelites had all interpreted the law according to their own imagination, what they believed the law was saying to them. And so then, 59 years later, Paul's writing Romans. And so I, I was thinking and I thought, oh wow, that's a long time to be indoctrinated in a way of thinking that is wrong. So in all of that time, they had all of this zeal for God, and they knew about the law, and they set out to become righteous by what they did. But all that time, that theology and that indoctrination was going round and round in the Jewish people's minds. So can you see why this meant so much to Paul? to see to it that they understood the truth. Because when that light blinded him and the scales fell out of his, off of his eyes, and he saw the truth and he had went through that conversion experience, then he saw what the whole thing was all about. And so he understood where these Israelites were coming from. He understood that they had this wrong thinking based upon the law. He himself did because he persecuted the Christians. Anyone that was of the way, which is what it was called back in the Bible times, uh, he was out to persecute them. He was out to get them and, and to change their minds because they believed in the Messiah. And of course, Paul didn't think the Messiah had come yet like the rest of the Jews. And so that was just one of those things that uh, I picked up and I thought, well, no wonder. It's like when God took the Israelites out of Egypt. It didn't, wasn't hard for him to do that, but getting Egypt out of the Israelites was a more difficult job. So look at us today. Here we are. God wants us to get our thinking changed so we don't think like the world because that's all we have known until Jesus came and we were converted. And so it's, it, throughout all history, it's been the same thing, getting God's people to get their mindset where it needs to be so they can receive what God has for them, because that's where the problem is with all of us.
It's our mind. Our mind will play tricks on us. Our mind and our emotions will try to make us think one thing when God's Word says another. Anne just said something when she walked in just a few minutes ago. She said something that she realized, and I think it was there all along. It was just one of those, oh, moments. <laughs> <clears throat> where faith is actually agreeing with God's Word. So if, if you want the simple definition of faith, that's what it is. It's bringing yourself into agreement with what God's Word says instead of into agreement with everything else that's going on around us. And we've been, we've been talking a lot about that. So anyway, I, as I was thinking about that, I thought, God, things don't change. Things have been the same forever and you're still trying to get the world and the wrong thinking out of your people so they can receive everything that you have. And so I'll tell you, I've been saying a lot of prayers. Oh God, get out, get rid of me, any of that stinking thinking so I can <laughs> really believe your word as it is spoken. Because anything that the enemy can come in with doubt, with fear, and one of the, th well, actually, there's three things now that keep popping up with almost every counseling session, and we all deal with it. And it's the guilt, the blame, and the shame, because that's the finger that the enemy uses to point to every one of us to get us to where we are sin conscious. And so we are thinking about sin and what we did wrong and the blame we take on rather than believing what God said when he said, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The word says, I'm seated in heavenly places far above every power, principality, and spiritual wickedness. If I don't believe that, then I'm going to think many times that the enemy has far more power than God does. And we bump into that so many times. Let's just say somebody's been diagnosed with cancer. That cancer is a word that just everybody has learned Oh, it holds so much power. The first thing it does is grip people with fear. And then the enemy, as long as he can keep you in that fear pattern, he can get you to doubt that God can really heal that. And so in that kind of thinking, we've, we've amplified the power of the enemy far above the Word of God. And it can happen in circumstances. It can happen in relationships. It can happen with everything where we exalt what's going on or what we're hearing here far above what God's Word says. That's why it's so important that we learn how to bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of God's Word. So how can we do that if we don't know what the Word says? So this is why reading the Word is such an important thing. If you don't understand it, look words up in the dictionary. Pray and say, God, help my understanding or help my unbelief because the Word is so important. And the, the epistles, the Gospels are, are wonderful, but the epistles are the meat of what God is saying to the church from the time the church started, way back in the Old Testament. So if you haven't 
uh, read them thoroughly, they are the place to really begin. And they all say pretty much the same thing. Because I know when I started reading the Bible, it seemed like this great big thick book. How on earth am I going to get through it? I, I thought it's going to take forever. And I read through it and all at once, the second time through, I started thinking, man, there's a lot of things that's repeated over and over again in the Bible. Well, there's a reason for that. And, and when you get into the New Testament, and especially into the epistles, you'll find that it's repeated over and over and over, the, especially the main truths that we need to get in us. And so start reading in, oh, maybe Romans, start reading in some of the, the New Testament. Ephesians is a powerful book to, to get into. That's really the uh, word to the church itself. And then the other ones, they all come in line and they all fill in in those same areas. And <clears throat> I can tell you that over the years, I, I just keep learning new things all the time. And I am not bragging on myself, but I've read through the Bible, I don't know, I think four times maybe. Could have been more because every Bible that I have, I start somewhere, but I read every book and I underline the things that <clears throat> I think are important or that I think are valuable for me to learn. And over a period of time, things start coming back to your remembrance. And so even if it sounds boring, even if it sounds like, oh, I'm not getting anything out of this, that word is still alive. God's word is still alive. Whether you feel it's alive or not, it's alive. And it's doing a work in you when you read it. Now, it may not if you're just sitting there just reading words, but if you're trying honestly to read it and get something out of it, God is going to begin to open it up to you. And when you do, it's amazing. I, I, I'm always getting something new out of the Word. And it's, and it's, it's exciting. I don't know about the rest of you, but to me, God's Word is exciting. And if you have to, there's a lot of places you can put your own name in there, and especially some of the apostolic prayers, like the ones in Ephesians, and some of them Paul prays in some of the books that he wrote. <clears throat> those, those prayers, personalize them, put your name in them in there so that those very things that he prayed, you're going to be praying for yourself. And sooner or later, I guarantee you, they will begin to happen. <clears throat> I can remember way back years ago, after the baptism, it was like, God, I just wanted more. I, I, I couldn't get enough. And so I, I, I prayed for the gifts of the Spirit. I prayed especially for word of knowledge because I had been introduced to the word of knowledge with, through the Bible study teacher that I had way back in the beginning. Thank you. <clears throat> and so when I began to uh, operate in that gift, I'd prayed for it quite a while before it began to happen. And then I didn't recognize it when it did happen. But that is a powerful gift because <clears throat> the word of knowledge then can open up the avenues of what God is really speaking to you. That comes in very handy in counseling sessions and ministry sessions. And so don't be afraid to pray for the gifts of the Spirit, and especially that gift of word of knowledge. <clears throat> so I'm off on a rabbit trail, I'm sorry. 
But at any rate, when Paul was talking to them and talking to them about uh, uh, how important it was that they have a messenger because you've got to hear the word. You're not going to know what to believe until you have heard God's word. And so uh, that's why he said in verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they haven't believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And so they hadn't actually heard the gospel, not in the way that Paul was presenting it. And so that's why he, he wanted, that's why I believe God wanted him to go to the Jews first. And so, um, let's see. When he said they needed a preacher, <clears throat> the word preacher doesn't necessarily mean the ministry of preaching or being a pastor. The word preacher means speaking out God's word. And so uh, every one of us are called to be preachers in that sense because he wants us to learn how to witness or how to be a witness to those who are around us. And I think this is something that probably all of us need to grow a little in because when we go places, I don't know how you guys are. Uh, I've said I wish I had a little bit more of Barb's husband in me because he's not afraid to go any place, anywhere, and talk to people about Jesus. I don't go out of my way to do that. <clears throat> if something happens, I'm glad to do it, but I don't go looking for it. And I think that's something that we could begin to say, okay, God, give me someone today I can witness to. We don't pray that. But God is after souls, and he, the only way he can reach them is through his people. And I think this is something that we as a church need to start reaching out more about. This is why I was excited when the church started going out beyond these four walls. Is because it was amazing to me what happened at the park. People were going by, we'd go out and, and people would say, can we pray for you? Do you have anything that we can pray for you about? And it opened the door and a lot of people got prayed for and ministered to that would never have been ministered to any other way. And so God, I'm sorry, I don't go out looking for the people, but I think maybe that will change in my life because I'm open to it now where before I didn't think too much about it. So then faith comes by hearing <clears throat> and hearing by the word of God. And so if we hadn't heard the word, we wouldn't have said yes to Jesus. That's what triggers the faith and activates it. So we respond. That's why the word is so important. But it's, um, it's uh, I, can't I can't emphasize reading the word enough. I can't emphasize it enough. Um, I don't put it above praying, but I put it right up there with it. Because sometimes we wouldn't even know how to pray if we don't read the word. So that's how important the word is. And if you get in the word <clears throat> and you find that uh, maybe, maybe some of you like you fall asleep or maybe some of you uh, find yourself so distracted that you can't focus on it 
or uh, some of the other things, you need to know who's behind that. Who do you think is trying to keep you out of the word? It's not you, it's the enemy. And we need to recognize the wiles of the enemy because we have authority over all power of the enemy. And I know when I first started reading the word, one of the things I did, I'd catch myself yawning. The first thing I'd know, my head would be dropping and I'd think, what's the matter with me? And I would get upset with myself because I thought it was all me. And I thought, can't you even stay awake for one minute to even get in the word? And then I found out the enemy was trying to put sleep on me. <clears throat> Sometimes he'll try to bring back old memories. Anything that distracts you from the word of God, you can count on it being from the enemy. So what does the Bible say? We have authority over all the power of the enemy. So uh, don't be afraid to use that authority. So then uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I was thinking was so interesting is as, we, as I was reading the last parts of um, chapter 10, after Paul tells the Israelites about their rejection of God's word and <clears throat> what this rejection has done, then he goes on and he quotes Deuteronomy 32.21, which this is an important thing because I think that we as believers need to remember this. But it says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And then Isaiah 65.1 says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. And so here, that's us Gentiles. He's talking about how God's going to graft us in to that tree, how he's going to graft us in, and we're going to be um, eligible for every right of citizenship that the, the Jewish people are. And so <clears throat> then, in, and then in, in verse 10, 21, Paul quotes Isaiah again, and this is where... He's speaking what God says. He says, all day long I've held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways that is not good, pursuing their own imaginations. So once again, all those years that the Israelites had been indoctrinated to believe the wrong way, they were very obstinate in it. And you can look at society today, the, the belief systems in the people and how it's like it's so difficult to change people from one way of thinking to another. I mean, look, okay, I, I, I'm going to just use the elections, for example. I, I personally was thinking, oh, there's going to be a landslide. There's just going to be this big red sweep of, across all of the voting polls, and <clears throat> we were going to see this magnificent change in everything. But you know, the people who are hearing the wrong thing are believing the wrong thing and they're voting the wrong thing. And if you go and try to change their mind, you know what's happening out there. It's like people are fighting over belief systems because if you're not this or you're not that, then you don't fit where we are, you know. So there's so much of that. And uh, so this is why God had to provoke the Israelites to jealousy 
And he did it by bringing those who didn't even know anything about him. He drew them in. And I thought, boy, God, you are so awesome. Isn't it awesome to just think about how God's plan is so perfect? And he used that to win the whole world. I mean, and he still is using it today. That's what's so amazing. So, um, so then anyway, there, there, was a, there was a time there where because of all of what the Israelites had done and they had turned their face from God, it appeared as, those God, as though God had turned his face away from them. And uh, <clears throat> Paul is speaking then, and we'll start out with 11, chapter 11 now. And Paul is speaking and he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So there was, a cons there was a general consensus at that time. Wait a minute, let me see. Must have skipped a page there somewhere. I skipped from page one to page three. Isn't that interesting? So that's okay. Yeah. That's all right. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, they had alienated him themselves from God. So it appeared as though God had totally rejected them, but he really hadn't. And so Paul's pointing to himself as an Israelite, using himself as an example of how God hasn't cast him away or he would not have done what he did to remove the scales from my eyes to bring me into that conversion so that I understand and believe. And so now I know who the Messiah is. And he tells them why. And this is found in 1 Timothy 1. And you're familiar with this scripture, but it says, Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost Jew, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. So when, all through the history, there was never a time that all of Israel actually believed in the Messiah. They've always, there's always been, that's why there's such a, a difference made whenever you hear about uh, our father Abraham, there's always a distinction between those who are of the promise and those who are of his genealogy. He always makes a distinct difference between the two because those that are of his genealogy doesn't mean that just because they came from Abraham that they necessarily are saved because all salvation has to come the same way, whether it was way back there with Abraham or whether it is today. By faith, we have to believe, and by faith, we receive. And so everything today is by faith, just like it was then, but they didn't understand it. So um, verse 2 says, God has not cast away his people. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets and tore down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But when does a divine, what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So verse 5 then says, even so, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. 
and if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Sounds like a puzzle, doesn't it? What then? Israel obtained what it seeks, but the elect, meaning the Gentiles, have obtained it, and the rest were blinded, just as it is written. And this scripture I looked up in several different commentaries, and I'm going to make a comment on it, because I think there are several scriptures that this happens to, because in the translation it always loses something. But in this scripture it says, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And I think there's several times in Scripture that God is blamed for something that God didn't necessarily do. So in the original Greek translation of this Scripture, the word given, where it says God has given them a spirit of stupor, that word comes from a word didomi, which uh, I'm not going to read all this long. It has something to do with a uh, uh, prolonged form of a primary verb anybody's an English scholar, they may understand that. But there were two synonymous words in all of the words that that word given means. One was grant, and the other was allow. So let's just say, God has allowed them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, to this very day. Or grant, grant is the other one. That puts a different connotation on that meaning because one sounds like God did it to them, where the other, he's giving them over to what they were already doing. And so that's, there's the difference. He does that with us today. If we decide we want to rebel against him, he gives us over to that rebellion. He grants us to be rebellious. And so I just thought, that was one of those things I picked up in the, in the studying that I thought, God, <laughs> sometimes when we study and study, we get into some controversy and, and difference in how even the commentaries can say something different. But I believe that that missed some, in, some uh, interpretation as it was translated over to English. And then in verse uh, 9, He's quoting what David said, and David is saying, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. So once again, in the commentaries, it's talking about how um, the table they were given, it meant all of their religious practices and all of their observances and all of the things that they did uh, according to the, the, the things that Moses presented to them. So they got into these religious practices and all of these observances. And uh, what they did is they caused those things to take the place of the revelation of, of their Messiah. We know that the Bible tells us that the law leads us to Christ. Well, those rituals and things were a shadow of things to come and they were to lead them to the Messiah. But instead, those things became what they, a substitute for the Messiah, and therefore they did, that's why Jesus is considered that stumbling block, 
because they got involved in all the ritualism. They got involved in all of their religious acts, and that was what they felt like was making them righteous. And I'll tell you, it's still here today. You can get into many churches that they'll point the finger at you and they'll put a demand and an expectation to you to follow certain rules and to, to do certain things. Or in some churches, a lot of ritualism takes place. And I don't mean to criticize any church, but people can get caught up in that ritualism. And, and you know, the Catholics are really good on, on a lot of things. They, they, you know, they really are. I'm not going to knock the, the Catholics as a whole. But if they're not careful, their ritualism can become everything to them. That's where their attention and their focus can be. And that will take the place then of the true relationship with Jesus. And this is what Paul is warning them about, that they don't allow that to happen. So um, <laughs> the other day, I was talking to someone, somebody that has just come back into our lives, and uh, God's really done a, a marvelous work in them. But they were so upset with themselves, they had missed their morning devotion. And they have had this thing where every morning at 6.30 in the morning, they do their, their devotions because they said God has to be first. Well, he's right in that. God does have to be first. But this ritualism of having to do that, at that every morning at that certain time for that length of time became a ritual that was beginning to take over his thinking. And he was beginning to do it with the reading of the Word. I have to read so many chapters. If I don't read so many chapters, then I'm not getting into me what I need. So I asked him, I said, are you understanding everything you're reading? No. <laughs> he wasn't understanding everything he was reading. I said, are you losing interest at all in your devotional time of a morning? And I thought it was interesting what he said. Uh, I don't know how to answer that because he said, I'm starting to dread doing it. Oh, okay. Can you see what I'm trying to say to you? Anytime the word becomes rote, where you just, okay, I've got to get into it, I've got to pray, I've got to, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. We keep putting more and more things that we feel like we have to do to please God. We're going to miss out on the spirit of what God wants to do in us. His love must be my motivation for all things I do for him. Because if it is anything else, it's going to be works. And I really challenge all of us on that, me included. I've been real big on checking motivation because I don't ever want to let anything that has to do with God become mundane or just I gotta, I gotta go do this. I better do this because I'm putting an expectation on myself of some form of performance. And that's what the religious spirit is all about. The religious spirit is all about performance. I have to perform things to be accepted or good enough or make, maybe even make myself feel good enough. 
And that isn't my measure of righteousness. And so we all need to remember, I'm righteous simply because God said I am, not because I actually am. <laughs> Doesn't that sound strange to say that? Because we look at our natural man and we see all of our flaws and we see all of the things we do wrong. And we first thing we know, that's where we're identifying. We're identifying with our natural man. It's not my natural man that is the new creation. It's my spiritual man that is the new creation. And so that's why it's so important that we know the word so it can divide between soul and spirit. Because otherwise, I will keep identifying with that fallen nature. That's not who I am anymore. He's dead. The Bible tells me very clearly that old man is dead. The old Adam nature that ties me clear back to everything that was Adam has been severed. No longer is that who I relate to. Now, if I do something wrong, I bring it to the Lord and I say, God, I'm sorry, I, I just got in the flesh because that's where sin is. Our flesh is where sin is. That's not who we identify with. So always remember, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. My spirit man is what was regenerated and is made new. My spirit man is who God is looking at. My spirit man is whole, perfect, pure, righteous, everything that God says, I already am. And if I can remember that, the enemy loses his, his target. He can't put guilt, condemnation, shame, any of that on us any longer. And that's what Isaiah 58, we talked about that one day in here. Uh, take away from the midst of you the finger that is pointed because it will be a finger of scorn. And God does not want that finger at us. And until we can remove that finger, we're going to have issues in our relationship between us and God. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. I know that I am not perfect in my natural man. I know that I've got attitudes and thoughts and things like that that want to creep up. i got to bring them into obedience. But that's not who I identify with. So make a note. If you have to, stick it on the refrigerator. I am my spirit man. And in him, I am in Christ Jesus. And I am everything that Jesus says I am. I am by the grace of God. All things God says in the word. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I have all authority. I am joyful. I am full of peace. I am full of faith. All of those things are who I really am. So this other thing, I want to stick blinders on everyone so that the enemy can lose his ammunition. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he took it all. Just, I don't know if all of you have done this before, but just in your mind's eye, picture Jesus and he took every sin, every bad attitude, 
everything you've ever done that you've been disgusted or upset or anything that was nailed to the cross with him his blood was shed and it covers it all and you are innocent now of all sin so the enemy has lost his power that's where jesus defeated the devil that's where he defeated him now does the devil still exist oh yeah but he's defeated now and so that's why god wants us to see him defeated i don't know this is one of the most important keys in counseling right janice we have to see the enemy as nothing. All he is is a loud noise. And if we agree with him, that's what gives him power. So if you start feeling guilty over something, deal with it right now. Don't let that guilt begin to come, become something that the enemy makes a playground out of. And then the first thing you know, you start taking on all of these bad thoughts about yourself. Then you'll take on, I'm going to blame you. And you start blaming yourself for everything. If only I'd have done this. If only I'd have done that. I should have this. I should have that. We can torment ourselves until we're just going silly. And in the meantime, where is Jesus? <laughs> Did we take him off of the cross? I know, I, I know I'm emphasizing this a lot, but you guys, I want all of us walking in victory. I want all of us to know what it is to agree with God and not agree with our own thinking and the, the way the enemy accuses us because his accusations and his lies are his deception. And that's what he does with all of us if he can get us deceived. And he does it by making us believe things about ourselves that are not what God says about us. And so that's one of the reasons sometimes it's so hard for us to forgive ourselves. That's why we may think, I mean, well, I've dealt with um, a couple of people who have uh, had abortions. And abortions probably do more to destroy a person inwardly than anything I can think of because they know in their heart it's murder. And sooner or later, the reality of what happened to them begins to haunt them. And if they can't forgive themselves of what they did, that thing can do so much destruction. And so that's probably the worst scenario but maybe there's other things that you did when you was younger. You've got to let yourself off the hook. It's mandatory that you let yourself off the hook because otherwise you get mad at you. And, and what is depression? Every one of us know what depression is, but depression is anger that's turned inward. And so what am I angry about? A lot of times I'm angry at me. And the anger towards myself then can make me depressed. That's not God's way. It isn't God's way at all. And unfortunately, many churches don't know it. And so they play the law game. And they will point their finger at sin in such a way that many of the people in the congregation will feel that condemnation. They will feel that guilt. And I'll tell you, any time a pastor gets up in the pulpit and uses it for a whip, 
I want to take them right out of the pulpit and say, go get saved. <laughs> but, I mean, everybody has their own, their own belief system. So, anyway, I keep going on these rabbit trails. Um, so let's go to a verse 11. Paul is talking. Well, verse 10, isn't that funny? After what I said, David is saying, let their eyes be darkened and they don't see, and they bow down their backs. That's what we do to the enemy. Exactly what we do to the enemy is, is that our eyes then will be darkened by all of the things that we've been deceived with, and then uh, we don't really see what God is wanting us to see. And then we'll bow down our backs, and who knows who will let walk all over us. A lot of times we let people walk all over us. Okay. So then uh, verse 11 says, I asked them, did they stumble that they might fall? May it never be, but by their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. I love that. Verse 12 says, Now if their fall is the riches of the world, and their loss the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So you'll see a theme in the next several verses uh, where God begins to set out through Paul that there's going to be a massive ingathering of the Jewish people, and they're going to come to believe in Christ, and they're going to be reconciled to him. This is their future. And uh, they're going to be grafted back in to their own olive tree. And so, you know, once again, I, th I think I just have lightly gone over uh, what the olive tree is. I, I guess I thought it was the church. It isn't the church. The olive tree represents the Israelites, the, the whole covenant relationship God had with the Israelites. It's not, it's not the church as a whole. Then he goes on to, and he says, I speak to you who are Gentiles. Since then, as I am an apostle, apostle to Gentiles, I glorify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and may save some of them. For if the rejection of them is the reconciling of the world, what would their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first fruit of is holy, so is the lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and become partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. But if you boast, it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. I'm going to stop with that. Um, we all know that anti-Semitism is a very real thing today, that there are so many people who actually hate the Jewish people. Uh, a lot of people uh, blame them totally for the death of Jesus, and yet the death of Jesus was planned by God, not by man, and he had to use man to execute what his plan was. So, um, 
anyway, what I, I guess I wanted to say is that there is going to be a time when God is going to engraft back into the olive tree, which is that the, it, it, the olive tree represents the covenant God made with the original fathers, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. And that's the forefathers. That's the root system that this olive tree is talking about. And so there are some scriptures. I don't know whether I wrote them down or not. Um, I did have them. That actually defines the olive tree and the um, branches. And so those branches that were broken off were the, it, were the Israelites that fell away, that didn't follow after the original plan that God had when he gave Moses the, the law. And so those and all of the generations coming back, when it talks about how all Israel will be saved, uh, once again, as I studied in the commentaries, that doesn't mean that every Israelite will be saved. It's, it's like those who choose to believe will be saved. And so there again, that's one of those things that if you get into the original Greek and see what it is saying, it isn't saying the entire nation. It's saying all of those who are Israelites who believe are going to be saved. So that, therefore the nation will be saved. And when that happens, oh wow. Are we ever going to see all kinds of powerful things happen, especially with the nation of Israel? And I think that this is something that a lot of Christians don't realize that we are tied in to the Jewish. I mean, we are all one. We're grafted together as one. And God doesn't look down here and see, okay, uh, this one's a Jew and this one's a Gentile. That isn't how he looks at his church body. He looks at us all as his children. And so there's a lot of things that are going to begin to take place that we need to keep our eyes on Israel because what happens to Israel is very important. And when we start seeing things start shifting, things start happening, we can begin then to realize, wait a minute, we're, we're getting right close to that time when Jesus is going to come back and the, the Jewish people are going to receive him and there is going to be a revival like none we have ever seen in the history of all Christianity. And so whenever you see anything like uh, in these scriptures, it talks about uh, this isn't going to happen until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there's going to be a time when there won't be any more Gentiles that are going to get saved because there will be that last one and then in comes Jesus with this incredible outpouring. We're going to have an outpouring and a lot of prophets are, are talking about this outpouring that's supposed to take place. I think pretty quick if it hasn't already begun. And we're going to see a lot of people turn around. And there's already a lot of, of, of uh, Jewish people who are born again. And so they're called Messianic Jews. And they, they really know and believe the Bible. And so I'd like to sit under some of them. I think their knowledge of God's Word is probably something that could quicken a lot of things in us that would make things very exciting. So. Uh, 
But the reason that, that I, I think that God wants so many of the Christians to pay attention is because the original covenant that was made with the forefathers is the very covenant that God's going to come right back with. And uh, that is the covenant that's, that's still there, never going to be taken away, that the, the Israelites are going to take and partake of. And that's, there's a scripture here, I think it's in verse, it is, it's in verse 29 that says, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And I thought that scripture, I, once again, I looked this up in the commentaries because my interpretation of that has always been like the gifts of the Spirit and God's calling. But all these commentaries all agreed that this is uh, the original calling of God to the Jewish people to cause them to form a nation and out of that nation then he was going to bring forth the Messiah and out from the Messiah the entire world would have the opportunity to receive him. That is the gifts and the calling that, these, that that scripture is talking about. I thought, okay, because I've always referred to it as the one that had to do with the gifts. So uh, the, the scriptures that were used in these commentaries, in, in, in at least three of them, that makes them say that those gifts, how do I want to say it, that the anointing can depart, they came from the Old Testament. So you'll have to be the one to judge how you feel and how you believe on that one. But the first one comes through Judges 16, and that's the one about Saul. And you remember how Saul was told to go to war with the Amalekites because they had been so uh, horrible to the Israelites, especially when they came out of Egypt. And so uh, rather than doing exactly what God told Saul to do, he spared, remember Agag? He, Agag was the god of the, um, uh, the Amalekites. He saved them. He did not destroy all the men, women, and children and all of that. He spared the best of all of the livestock when he was told to destroy everything. And so God told Samuel to go get Saul because he was going to take the kingdom from him. And so uh, at this time then when Samuel goes to see him, Saul's... Uh, uh, kingdom was ripped away from him and he was no longer king. So that was one of the scriptures they used. The other one was the one that was concerning Samson and Delilah. And it talked about how he finally told Delilah all the secrets of his strength. And then when the men came and shaved his head, his strength left him. So those are the two scriptures that were used. I don't know. Makes you want to think, okay, God. Because I've always thought that once you have the gifts and the Spirit, that they're yours. In fact, I think sometimes we're born with them. We just talked about that the other day, too, that there's an inclination towards the gifts that you'll see in children. You want to see those gifts brought out. So are those gifts ever taken away? You know, you might want to ask God and do some research on your own because I thought, all right, that came... That came through that study, and I'm not sure where I stand on it myself now, so, okay. Um, let's see, I think I better call this to a close.
All right. Okay. Yeah, I think we can probably close it now. So, so let's look at that last um, that last scripture that is in. Um, I thought I had it on here. Do you have your Bible, Janice, that you can read that? What Paul says about God in the last. Uh, in chapter 11 of Romans. I just, I'll close it with that because we had the last, I think it's the last verse in chapter 11. I didn't have it on here for some reason. Yes. <laughs> so I'll close with prayer. Father, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for, uh, for you, for all you have done. God, your magnificent plan of salvation, your magnificent work in each one of us. God, we ask that you would remove the scales from our eyes, that we can behold your glory in a whole new way, that, God, we will have a new passion for you, that, God, we will pursue you, we will run after you, God, that our lives will take on what you want us to have and take on and not all of these things that we've lived in that haven't had anything to do with you. God, we, we submit to you today in a whole new way, and we say, God, have your your way in us. Teach us your ways, God. Teach us your ways. And God, reveal to us our hearts so that, God, we can make that choice to love you in a way that, God, maybe we've never loved you before and to come closer to you, God, than we've never been before. That, God, you will truly be our life and that we will know just what Paul said in that last scripture, that everything comes from you, everything is about you, everything goes back to you. And God, because your son Jesus is truly the life, the truth, and the way, in Jesus' name, amen.